Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are the natural selection. On today's show... If Lion King had been true to form, Simba would have come back and, like, phase one would have been kill every cub. It's nature's attempt at doing everything that nature has ever made all at once. Yeah. I would like to call to the stand a male sea otter called Whiskers. Whiskers, please take your seat. Whiskers, you don't have to say anything. (laughs) So, this is a topic that was actually brought to my attention by one of our listeners. Now, cast your mind back to the mists of season three. Ah. Do you remember when we answered the question about which animal you take as a date to a wedding, family gathering, etc., etc., to impress your family? Yes. Do you remember the animals that we suggested? And it was based on physical appearance. It was based on how well they interact with your family. It was based on trying to choose an animal that would absolutely knock it out of the park when it came to making a positive impression on your family. Yeah, I remember... We had three. Secretary Bird was deemed too edgy. Yeah, I thought it was better than everybody else. Wouldn't talk to your nan. Wouldn't talk to your, wouldn't talk to your nan was a big threshold, I remember. I think Okapi got thrown around. Okapi was in there. That's one. Otter? Sea otter. Sea otter. Yeah. I think Hedgehog went down well, but the prickles were... Yeah. So the other one was Barn Owl. Okay. And yep. you said, uh, I think you'd do well if you turned up at a wedding with an actual Barn Owl oh, yeah. in, like, today's life. Yeah. Um, regardless of the hypothetical. Anyway, I think, reading it back, they're all pretty safe choices. Sea Otter, Barn Owl, Akapi. Yeah. Although, right. enter into my Instagram DMs, Smart. fan of the show, Martha Glennon. Martha. Martha. She's written in and has taken massive exception to our choice of the sea otter. So she's saying it should not be. She says, I think a particular article needs to bring into your attention, as I wouldn't want a sea otter within 10 miles of my family. All right, Martha. Now, the sea otter has got a pretty good PR team, because when we think of sea otters, and the reason we chose it is you think of... The little cute fluffy viral videos of them holding hands and floating around on their back and bit there. I think they're one of the most objectionably cute animals yep. that you can see. Yep. But oh, the sea otter has a very dark side. And what I'm bringing is to shine a bit of light on two t- types of animals, starting with the sea otter, that I think are getting away with it when it comes to our positive perception of them. And there's some behaviours that they exhibit. You know, nature's not all cute and cuddly. It's not all floating around on its back holding hands. Nature's brutal, and so are some of these animals that we like. Here we go. So we're doing a character assassination on the sea otter. (laughs) (laughs) Taking down that PR. So, this is what the article leads with. And it's a strong two sentences. Yep. That I think, I'm not sure it quite tops the briefly inspirational and ultimately tragic story of the most heroic cow in Poland. But I think these two sentences lay out our stall, okay? Okay. The case against otters, the necrophilic, serial-killing fur monsters of the sea. There comes a point at which rational people have to put adorable hijinks aside and recognise otters for what they are. Disease-ridden, murderous, (laughs) necrophilic aqua weasels whose treachery knows few bounds. (laughs) 
Is that Martha's sentence? <laughs> no, that's that's from that's from the article that ah. she sent me. This was her this was her evidence for why the sea otter. She sent me a link to this article. It's a very strong opening case in the in in the <laughs> opening argument in the case of the people versus sea otters. <laughs> Uh-huh. Aqua weasels whose treachery knows few bounds is one of my favourite little little sentences. So, there. do I in in the case of the people versus sea otters? Uh-huh. You are here on behalf of Martha representing the people. Uh, yeah. Does that mean then that I have to represent the sea otters? If you would like to take the stand for the sea otter, okay, you're more than welcome to. I am the conduit for Martha's enlightenment of me. Okay. Okay. Well, the court welcomes Jack Adams <laughs> to the stand. To the stand. And uh, following the prosecution, the defence will speak. Okay, so I would like to call to the stand, first, a male sea otter called Whiskers. (laughs) Whiskers, please take your seat. Whiskers, you don't have to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to start with a pretty notable case study, which is going to give you an insight into uh, the sort of stuff we're going to learn about. Okay? Okay. So we're going back over 30 years to the west coast of Vancouver Island to meet Whiskers, mm-hmm. a male sea otter who's a bit of a local celebrity. He'd crawl onto the lap of the assistant lighthouse keeper's 14-year-old son. He'd play with people as they were like walking along the beach. He'd go after balls that were tossed into the ocean. He was a pretty like, oh, you know Whiskers the sea otter? Gotta go see him. He's like a bit of a, bit of a local thing. I'd just like to say that my client was unaware that the son was 14 years old at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I mean, when you learn about what Whiskers gets up to, then, yeah, takes on a different light. So, according to Ed and Pat Kidder, who served on the lighthouse at the time, there was one day when the local dogs were down on the rocks barking at Whiskers, who was pushing a log towards them in the water. Now, Ed and Pat say it was almost as if he was baiting them to jump in onto it or to come and get it. And he was pushing this log towards the dogs. The dogs were barking at Whiskers and he's sort of holding this log just far enough away from them, not pushing it right up to the thing, but being like, come on, come on, come and get it. Anyway, they don't go, they don't go and get it at that time. The dogs just stay there, they carry on barking. None of them go into the water. But a couple of days later, one of the dogs called Tuck, T-U-K, was found floating in the water, drowned, whilst two other dogs are stood on the rock barking. Whiskers is there too, in the water, holding on to the body of the dog, swimming backwards and forwards and copulating with it. Defence. Just please take your step. <laughs> He'd killed it and he was having sex with the corpse. Classic Whiskers. I present to you, the jury, that this is classic Whiskers. Whiskers, you don't have to speak at this moment. My client reserves the right to remain silent until the prosecution presents more evidence. At the moment, hearsay. (laughs) So, conjecture. This is a little snapshot into the mating behaviour of the sea otter, which is is quite something. Um, But is this just an aberrant case of an outcast sea otter that's too habituated to people? You know, whatever. Can we can we claim grounds of insanity for the sea otter to be dismissed, um, or is this a window into something more? So, I would like to call to the stand now from 2005 from Long Beach on the west coast of Canada, Rocky, another local celebrity sea otter, 
he was seen trying to mate with a dead cormorant, which Rocky clearly has no taste whatsoever, as we have established multiple times on this show that it is the worst bird in the world. But once again, a sea otter seen mating with the corpse of another animal that it may or may not have killed. That's what we can't really establish. But surely these are just two weirdo otters that have got names and are a bit habituated and acting a bit wrong. Well, in 2020, vet Heather Harris and her co-authors published an account in the journal Aquatic Mammals documenting 19 cases of sea otters attacking baby seals. It's not just cormorants, it's not just dogs. They'll go after pretty much anything that even slightly resembles a female sea otter. Okay, the, <laughs> the defence is listening. In, in, this, in this paper, there's all sorts of descriptions on how this goes down, which we don't really need to go into. But essentially, when sea otters mate with each other, the males restrain the females and they bite them on the nose quite a lot. They hold the nose between the jaws of the male sea otter. Now, this could be as a way of... There's some people that say it's a way of um, asserting dominance. It might help bring the female into season, or it might just be a way of them gripping each other when they're in the sea. And it's, you know, if you're mating and it's choppy waters or whatever, you've got to have a good purchase. Um, but they basically... <laughs> do this to baby harbour seals as well so harbour seals little pups just resting on the on the shore living their best lives male sea otters will just attack them drag them into the water mate with them and quite often that leads to the death of the pup which can then be carried around for up to seven days after it's died by the sea otter which is just continually having at it as it carries it around in the water. So I'd like to take this moment to reflect back on those cute little sea otter videos uh, that you've seen and just this is this is the journey that I went on as I read this article that Martha had absolutely shattered all my perceptions of these cute little sea otters. So we've talked about dogs, we've talked about cormorants, we've talked about seal pups that are on the unfortunate end of this thing but the thing you really got to feel sorry for is these female sea otters because they're the, they take the brunt of this all the time and I would like to say as a bit of if you're taking the I'd like to offer a bit of sympathy with the people defending the sea otters um, because it is basically the males that are dragging the female's name through the mud I think that's not exclusive to <laughs> sea otters <laughs> yes touche but this is very much the male behaviour that is this is this pretty grim twist on the whole sea otter thing now there's another study that finds that about 11% of sea otters found dead in California were killed at least in part by trauma associated with mating. And trauma is the norm for sea otter mating, not the exception. Because of all this biting, because of it can sometimes be drowning when the males are just holding on for too long, blah, 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 blah. Basically, they're just far too horny and need to chill the fuck out, these sea otters. <laughs> They're, they're like the literal definition of toxic masculinity. They just got to like chill out a bit. But in Monterey Bay in the early 2000s, they noticed that there'd been an increase in mortality in sea otters that disproportionately affected females, with the result that the sex ratio is now becoming skewed towards males. So because females are being killed by males during the mating process there is now more male sea otters 
than there are females, which is compounding the problem even more. Because what they found is that the males are getting more aggressive because mating opportunities are harder to come by. And maybe this is why we're seeing this behavior spilling over to other species as well. Because basically there's a load of horny sea otters out there and not enough females to go around. I put it to the prosecution that my clients, Whiskers and Rocky, are not perpetrators here, but are in <laughs> fact victims of a toxic culture at large and a society which has condemned them to live on the fringes. <laughs> well, that's true because there are now, because what the sea otters do is the males will hold on to territories that are uh, filled with good feeding, good habitat, generally areas of good kelp beds and things like that. And the strongest, most dominant, generally oldest or in their prime male sea otter will hold that territory and he'll wait for the females to come and feed and that's when he'll make his move but now there's lots of male otters out there because of this disproportionate split there's lots of male otters out there that haven't got access to good feeding territories and they're just sort of like wandering around forlornly mm. waifs and strays looking for things to do you know they stumble across a seal pup and this might be what happened but basically it could be that this behavior although sea otter even in the best of times sea otter mating is pretty rough it could be that this spillover into other species is actually a result of the fact that female sea otters are having a disproportionately high um, mortality rate thanks to the blokes anyway is there a first recorded case of this no, I, I, well, I think there's there's first recorded cases when it comes to the otters and other species, but in terms of just otters and male otters being rough to female otters, this is just like, it's just a fact of their behaviour. There's papers that talk about how it's really, really easy if you've got a study population to see which of the females that have been mated with and which of the females that haven't because the females that have been mated with have got bloody noses and scar tissue and things like that. <laughs> I am walking the finest line in my head <laughs> with this defense of sea otters lawyer position I've put myself in. I was struggling to think of an animal that I think people are so unaware of the dark side of it and the sea otter has led a charmed internet life. Oh, look at me juggling rocks. Look at me holding hands and floating around what am i really up to yeah your honor i'd like to advise my client to seek other counsel <laughs> well if only that was the end of it because oh, also turns out that they'll checks notes just straight up hold females kids to ransom <laughs> to ransom <laughs> to ransom for what biologists heidi pearson and randall davis wrote a paper detailing this where a male approached a pup that was floating on the surface while its mother was diving for food. The male basically just grabbed the pup, swam away with it, and then just held it there. The mother came up with the food and then was like, shit, where's my baby gone? Looked over, the male was there holding this pup, just sort of swimming away with it. And then the, as soon as the female dropped the food, the male basically chucked the pup away and swam down to get the food. Your Honour, the 2008 financial crash <laughs> hit everyone in different ways. Should my clients be <laughs> held accountable as, as victims of, yet again, wider societal problems at large? Let's think about the otters at the top here. You know, the 1%. The 1%. Who have forced this situation upon 
Whiskers and Rocky. <laughs> and all their brethren. Yeah, I mean, as if it wasn't just the, the mating, they're also just straight up kidnapping. <laughs> and uh, for, for what, a sea urchin or a clam or whatever it is that sea otters are dining out on. Is it all... Are sea otters just on the west coast of the states? Yeah, Does they're all... in, like, Russia as well? Like, the oh, east d- coast of the other side of the Pacific? So sea otters uh, have... They're currently undergoing an expansion, having massively been yeah. hunted for fur and all that sort of stuff. No, you get them up into Alaska, and I did see some reference to, I think, Russian trappers. So maybe they did go across the Bering Strait onto that side. But that's the bit I'm wondering, because we're saying they've got this... <laughs> Your Honour, closure is lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> if male otters are doing this, and we're saying it's having a negative impact on the population split of the species, how did they ever exist yeah. beforehand? This is what I couldn't work out. And I don't know if it's just a factor of the fact that they are in smaller populations and therefore those smaller populations are more at risk of things knocking them out of kilter. Yeah. Whereas if you had got sea otters all up and down the West Coast, the population is probably large enough, the ecosystem healthy enough, that it's maybe not resulting in as many of these extreme behaviours. And perhaps the mating from the male-female perspective is more forced from the male side because there are less options or there are or the population is only of a certain size hmm what is it about a semi-aquatic lifestyle that Hmm. makes an animal a stone-cold rapist (laughs) because ducks are at this as well (laughs) so i was i was gonna put ducks in here and then i thought it might be a bit too much um ducks were gonna be my third but i ended up just sticking to two animals um but yeah ducks Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Let's hypothesize. How many geese hypothesizers? For the benefit of the jury. Yeah. So, ducks... We'll start at the start. They're one of the few birds that has a penis, to start with. Now, this could be linked to the aquatic thing that you talked about, because there's only really two groups of birds that have dicks. And <laughs> and that's... <laughs> this is Ornithology 101, sounds, with how many geese. It sounds like the hackiest... 80s Bernard Manning type setup <laughs> to some kind of anyway. So there's only two kinds of birds that have dicks. Big ones, as in <laughs> as in big birds, as in big birds, guys, um, and ones that live in water. Right. Most birds have a cloaca, which is the same that reptiles do. One hole that everything comes out of: eggs, feces, sperm, etc. And most most birds mate by doing this thing that really grates with me. This phrase doing this thing called a cloacal kiss. Yeah. It's, oh, it sends shivers down my spine. Basically, their cloacas touch for like seconds and the male passes sperm to the female. She becomes fertilized, etc., etc. Now, if you're in the water or if you're a massive bird like an ostrich, yep. it's quite difficult to do this. Yep. A large part of this cloacal kiss yep. is often the male getting up on the back of the female, which if you can fly is much easier. If you're an ostrich, it's very difficult. Yep. So that's why the two groups of birds that have penises tends to be bigger birds and water birds. Because in the water, you've got to make sure that the sperm's getting where it's going to go and there's lots of water you know, around. So basically, males have these extendable penises come out. You all know how it works. 
In ducks, though, they have the I've only ever seen a duck's dick once. IRL <laughs> in the wild. Um, but they are horrendous things. <laughs> and the, the thing that made this work is with a duck that I knew the name of the duck. This was Douglas, <laughs> Douglas the duck. I didn't need to see that, Douglas. Um, and. <laughs> that, I'm glad we went down this hypothesizing route. Anyway, where am I going with this? They are. You were about to tell us more about <laughs> Douglas's dick. They're basically these horrendous corkscrew things. Like, imagine what are those? What are those potato twist things? You know what? You, a curly fry. A curly fry. They basically look like a curly fry. Right. With a tip, like a like a javelin tip at the end, and the, and they basically. Does the male spin into her? <laughs> yes, yeah, hold it and twist it like a corkscrew. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the amazing thing, is that males really forcibly mate with the females. As in, they'll all pile on, they'll, um, they'll, use the, they'll use their beak to hold the feathers on the back of the head. And you can, just like the sea otters, you can see which females have been mated with in a, in a spring because they're missing feathers on the back of their head. If you go to a duck pond, you'll see females missing feathers. So they hold them down, they're piling on. Sometimes they can drown the female, and just like our sea otter friends, they'll sometimes just carry on mating with the corpse. Um, so females have evolved a strategy so they're not getting fertilised by males that they don't want to be fertilised. So the male's got a corkscrew dick. The female, her insides corkscrew the opposite way oh my God. so that it doesn't fit cleanly and she can try her best to eject the male's dick if she doesn't want it. So you, what you've actually got is an evolutionary arms race between the males and the females within a similar species. And the females actively making it harder for the males to mate with them because they come under so much pressure from males that they might not want to get fertilized by. So they've got this anatomical adaptation to make it harder for them to, to be fertilised by males they don't want their genes. Ducks. How's that going to work out in the long run, though? We say it's an evolutionary arms race. Uh -huh. Oh, as in, like, if she wins, there's well, just no ducks well, left because they stop mating. Like, evolutionary arms races happen here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. But an arms race happening within a species... Yeah. I can't think of anything that extreme yeah. that it's between the male and female around how that species actually reproduces yeah. that is wild wild yeah but going back to your original point what is yeah. it about semi-aquatic things that make them stone cold rapists <laughs> maybe genuinely there's something in the fact that it's all taking place in the water and mating in the water is always going to require i think a bit more a bit more like force or a bit more restraining than mating on land because it's more difficult and it maybe it just runs away with itself a bit more i don't know but then i've seen i've seen swans mate on the water and that's they're, they're, they're having a great time so semi-aquatic birds we've, we're holding ducks dead to rights ducks, like i say ducks were going to be in this segment semi-aquatic mammals we're holding otters well bang to rights they're what started this trial in the yeah. first place mm. on semi-aquatic mating behaviors mm semi-aquatic reptiles I don't know anything about what crocodiles are up to no neither do I they're gonna have a cloaca as well yeah but they might have 
a uh, hemipene. Snakes have two dicks, that's a, yeah, but it's do. like two half dicks. Yeah. A left dick and a right do dick. Do you think they're happy with that, or do you think they'd rather just the one big one? <laughs> <laughs> but the last one that I want to take off, though, semi-aquatic. Well, all amphibians are semi-aquatic. Yes. They're, they're nice. Yeah. Oh, no, though. You've seen the mating balls of, like toads and frogs and, and there's like a female that's that's somewhere in there they do yeah they literally glue themselves kind of onto each other have you ever seen um i know a few people that do like the toad patrols yeah. you know where you go out and you at certain times of night when the toads are migrating to their breeding ponds um they uh, cross roads and we don't want the toads getting run over so people go out there and remove the toads off the roads uh, and then carry them to their breeding ponds or put them on the other side of the road etc etc I know people that have done that and if you pick up a male toad like they can just go into amplexus which is when they grab and go into their sort of mating zone just around your thumb like they're just so like Whoa. I don't know so I think frogs actually at least the UK frogs and toads that we have here it's a, it's a big mating ball isn't it they all pile onto the female and you can get females in because there are frog species which or toad species whatever that almost glue themselves to the back of the female because they don't have arms long enough to go around oh. yeah like the kind of rain frogs the desert yeah. things where they've got tiny little stubby arms so they can't do that bear hug so they have an almost glue that they just and I think you can get like one and the females are larger than the males so you get like one big female with basically a conga line of males <laughs> all glued onto each other kind of trucking about the she place she doesn't need that she doesn't need that at all so maybe they're not I was thinking very briefly more down the salamander route because mm. they do not don't they like waft the yeah tail? There's, I've, there's some I've seen newt there. mating in the uk and that that all seems very nice like i watched a newt mating this past spring or courtshiping mm. uh, and yeah the male would sort of like keep coming round in front of the female but a respectable distance yeah. away and just fanning his tail at her and yeah he definitely wasn't being overly pushy mm -hmm. at all Okay. The okay. court has meandered. Back court, in session. Uh, the last thing I just wanted to mention about sea otters, it's not particularly behaviour related, but they've all got swine flu. <laughs> it's because men are pigs. <laughs> That's what's happened there, Jack. Apparently, sampling along the coast of Washington State found that more than 70% of sea otters tested positive for H1N1, which is swine flu. So... The otters are really not coming out of this segment very well. Although, to be fair, they're not all bad. As I said, one, it just tends to be the males that are the real problem here. Yep. Although the females have got swine flu as well. Um, but two, it turns out that otters might actually be pivotal in our fight against climate change. You heard about this? Because otters eat... Sea otters eat sea urchins. This is it. If you don't have sea otters, right... You're a Californian beach. <laughs> Picture it, Jack. You're the beach. I'm there. And out there, there's no sea otters. Uh -huh. What this means is that all the sea urchins along your bit of coast have gone mad for it. Yeah. And they're breeding left, right, and center. You can't move for sea urchins anymore. <laughs> that then means that the sea urchins are absolutely mowing down the kelp forests. Mm -hmm. And they're eating every single bit of aquatic vegetation out there. Enter the sea otters mm -hmm. this is basically a seaside equivalent of the yellowstone wolves it's it, genuinely they are described as a pretty powerful ecosystem engineer yeah you bring in some sea otters 
you sort of have a word with HR so you can hire them despite their <laughs> proclivities or whatever we're, you know, yeah. alleged. Yeah. <laughs> the court is yet to make a decision. You bring in some sea otters. They predate on the sea urchins. That brings the sea urchin population down, which then means that the kelp can recover. I don't know about sea grass necessarily, but kelp is the one I know. Yep. The, sea, uh, the kelp, the big seaweed, then bounces back. And this sea kelp can be tens and tens and tens of feet tall long strands of seaweed from the seabed up to the top and this forest then begins to suck up co2 return of algae photosynthesizes not only that provides habitat for other species and next thing you know your ecosystem's just been engineered exactly yeah one study found that kelp beds where otters were found stored up to 12 times more carbon than those without it so fair play so is this like when people are kind of like do we or do we not listen to R. Kelly? <laughs> you know? It's like he's been on trial, he's been convicted. What do we do about the remix of Ignition? <laughs> it's like sea otters are on trial. However. Is it okay to listen to Michael Jackson? Yeah. However, the, is it okay to think a sea otter is cute? Because whilst it is on trial, yeah. it is pivotal to our fight against. Yeah, an ever-burning planet. Yes. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. Who knows? Something fresh you, in the kitchen. <laughs> I think you have to make your own decision, listener, whether you can separate the artist from the art. Exactly. Right. So we're going to move on from sea otters to what I think is probably the best example of an animal that is loved by the world, but holds some pretty questionable behaviours. But those questionable behaviours are a result of a fact that it's quite intelligent and they give you a bit of an insight. So we are going to be talking about dolphins because people absolutely love dolphins. The people versus dolphins. <laughs> In session. I guarantee you that there's someone listening to this podcast right now that wants to be a marine biologist or is a marine biologist because they like dolphins. Yep. Like they're on... You go into any sort of like what is it like a hippie shop where they've got mm. where they've got the um dream catchers and yeah crystals crystals and all that sort of there's always dolphins on everything yeah they're fucking ornaments of dolphins yeah there's do everywhere spirit animal yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and that's not to say they're not amazing and like incredibly smart blah 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 but that's not what we're here for we should recognize them for what they are yeah exactly so let's start in a similar vein to otters in that male bottlenose dolphins and it's mainly going to be bottlenose dolphins that we are talking about mm-hmm Lots of different species of dolphin, including one of our podcast's favourite, the orca. Mm -hmm. um, but we're mainly going to be focusing on bottlenose dolphins. So this is the people versus bottlenose dolphins. Yes, yes. In indeed. session. <laughs> because they are also absolutely toxic when it comes to their mating. Except they don't just act independently like the sea otters do. They're tag team toxic. They form alliances in pairs or trios that aim to herd females away from anywhere from an hour to several weeks for as long as it takes for her to come into season so that they can mate with her. Now, the mating itself can be in a similar sea otter vein, pretty brutal. There's often an element of let's say persuasion in inverted commas. They God. basically have to beat her up a little bit until she let them mate with them. So they essentially beat her into submission until she gives up and then they mate with her. But the really interesting thing about this behaviour that is the herding behaviour of these alliances is that you might have an alliance of two dolphins or three dolphins uh, that go around as males 
they look for a female, they then herd her away, they try and stick with her for, like I say, potentially up to several weeks until she comes into season until they can mate with her. But you can also get multiple alliances of males joining together. So you can have three dolphins that go around looking for females and another three dolphins that go around looking for females and they'll join forces. And the most that have ever been seen herding a female is 14 males all working together to try and cajole females away from their pod so that they can mate with them. And these males don't even have to be related either. You know how we were talking about in the last episode, we were talking about ants and how a lot of mutualistic, um, Mm. altruistic behavior is because they share genes and they're getting some sort of genetic fitness. Well, hang on. Okay. I'd like to come in on defense of ants briefly. Okay. Because the altruistic behavior we were talking about there was everyone go out and get some food and <laughs> then the whole colony does well and the queen gets to have a load of eggs. I don't think you can call gang rape <laughs> altruistic behavior. <laughs> what we don't know is basically why they're doing it with the ants it's because that's the point i was trying to make with the ants we know the reason they're being altruistic is because they all share a high percentage of genes generally they're all offspring of the queen yes with these males don't use the word altruistic i swear to god they don't have to be related (laughs) for them to seem to help each other out okay so it must maybe it's just that being in these alliances increases your mating effectiveness so much that it's worth being in them even though you may actually be helping out someone that's completely unrelated to you do they oh god i mean like the ice is so bloody thin right now i feel talking about this but anyway do they for example 10 males go after a female yeah one male mates yeah do we then know if it's the same 10 that go after the next female so male B mates so and then the 10 go and male C mates and it kind of alternates like generally that. what with these what they call super alliances okay. which is when the little mini alliances of trios uh, of pairs or trios come together mm-hmm. they only tend to be for a small period so I don't know what triggers that but when they're going around in their pairs or trios it seems to be that they're all getting a relatively equal opportunity at mating, although there may be some sort of dominance hierarchy depending yeah, on size and order. age and things like that, exactly. But it could be that even if you're the subordinate one in your trio, you're going to have no chance mating with a female if you're on your own. So you ally yourself with maybe two stronger males because then at least you're getting some action. Mm. But the interesting thing is that, like I say, they don't have to be related, these males. And these alliances can last 20 years so this is not just like something that happens you know during the breeding season i don't necessarily think dolphins have breeding seasons as such but these are alliances that form for like lifetimes the courts need to get a handle on what is happening in our streets in our seas in our seas 20 years these are out there yeah yeah and they can get into really like gnarly fights with other males so although you get super alliances where they work together you can then get groups that come together and then have gang wars you know if they see if they see someone's got a nice female they'll then have a war with each other to try and steal that female away so it's not always that like all the males are in it together don't really know why sometimes they'll form groups and sometimes they'll 
be antagonistic to each other. And basically, humans are the only other animal that's known to engage in any sort of behavior like this, literal wingman behavior, where you seem to be teaming up with somebody else when you may not get a chance of mating yourself, but to let somebody else mm. further their evolutionary fitness, perhaps on the promise, with these alliances lasting as long as they do, that the favour will be returned at some point in the future. But that's what I wondered about the kind of, if you've got dolphin A, B and C, yeah. and the first female gets A and then the next female is B and then yeah. the next female is C. Yeah. They're, they they're clearly all getting a chance or this behaviour wouldn't mm. uh, persevere. It might not be as simple as, you know, uh, it might be that yeah. dominant dolphin gets five out of ten, second yeah. dolphin gets three out of ten, little male gets two out of ten, but that's more than he'd get being on his own. In fact, it's theorised that basically these complex relationships and adding more complexity as time goes on with these alliances and super alliances, blah, 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 could be the reason that large brains have evolved in the first place or could have driven the intelligence. It's basically, when it comes to social animals, anywhere where we see animals with complex social relationships, so humans and other apes, dolphins, whales, parrots, crows, dogs, blah, 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 they always generally have got the higher level of cognition. The outlier being octopus, which, like, no one knows why the fucking <laughs> octopus is so clever because it lives on its own under a rock for two years and then dies. But generally, higher intelligence comes with animals that are interacting with their own species um, and forming relationships and bonds that are key to their survival, breeding, uh, and fitness. And dolphins being, you know, one of the most one of the most intelligent of those. Do you want to know another thing that dolphins do? Yeah. Another key thing that they managed to miss out of old Flipper. Oh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> Infanticide. Good. Now, this is where the males will kill young dolphins, the calves, that they haven't fathered in order to make the females come into season so that they can mate be mated with again. But I feel like this is an unfair thing to put on the door of the dolphin That's because this is hugely popular in the animal kingdom. <laughs> yeah. This is a big... Nature absolutely loves this one. Disney glosses over that yeah. a lot. But this is this is a huge behaviour in the animal kingdom is infanticide. Yeah, because isn't it... You know, if Lion King had been true to form, Simba would have come back and, like, phase one would have been kill every cub that wasn't his. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've even got here... It's seen in everything from lions, monkeys, swallows, meerkats, spiders, damselfish, to even microscopic rotifers have all been seen exhibiting infanticide behavior. Generally, it's a male-led thing, but there are some occasions where it's female-led things for other pressures. But when it's male-led, it's that the male is coming in, he's wanting the females to come in season so that he can mate with them. It's not worth his time letting that female spend however long raising an offspring that's not his, so he kills them and then he can mate with them. She'll come into season, he'll whatever. Um, something that uh, I remember being filmed on Springwatch ages ago was a male swallow. I got a camera on a nest. Uh, and a male swallow just flying up and taking these brand new hatched chicks uh, that were literally just hatching from the egg cell and just throwing them over the outside of the nest. And that was the first time it had ever been seen in swallows. And the theory was that it was a male that was trying to induce the female to be ready to lay another clutch. So yeah, I mean, so I feel like that is unfair to lay on the door of the dolphin because it's one of nature's greatest hits, is infanticide. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be honest with you. The defense doesn't have a whole lot 
<laughs> it's just like, you know, nature, man. Like the behaviors, there are some amazing behaviors out there that make us marvel, but these are just as important when it comes to understanding nature, when it comes to understanding complexity. I mean, if it's down to mating, it's arguably more important than some of the nice things that we tend to focus on. Anyway, we've got one more. Oh. The final bit of dolphin behavior that I want to touch on needs the introduction of another character, the humble porpoise. Welcome. Welcome, porpoise. You're not going to like where this is going. Is the porpoise in like a little, uh, you know, those witness protection, <laughs> like it's got a, a curtain around oh, yeah, it exactly. in the courtroom. Well, yeah, they, just, they're not allowed to sketch his face. Yeah, a microphone <laughs> just going to the rest of the room. Yeah. yeah. So harbour porpoises, which is a species we're going to focus on, because this is the one I could find the most evidence for. Harbour porpoises grown to about one and a half, two metres, and live alongside bottlenose dolphins in much of their range. Harbour porpoises are found all over the place. They're pretty cute little things, swimming around, eating fish and straight up getting murdered by dolphins. The bottlenoses are about twice the size of harbour porpoises, and bottlenose dolphins have been witnessed on multiple occasions chasing down and killing porpoises. Not to eat them, just just killing them. For sport? Well, this is the thing. Why are dolphins killing porpoises? This has been seen... The, one of the most recent evidences I could see of this was in off the coast of Wales and Cornwall. One porpoise at least a year is recorded being killed by dolphins off the coast of Cornwall. It happens all over. And no one really knows why. Do you not think it's because the dolphins are so mad they're next to a country called Wales <laughs> that they have to take it out on someone or something? Some other cetacean's got to get it. Exactly. They're like, where is the country called dolphin? Why do we have to live in the shadow? of the whale the whole time we can't get a break and then a porpoise comes along and they're just like get him <laughs> so the most likely explanation of this behaviour seems to be that it's something called intraguild predation you ever heard of intraguild predation I have not so this is basically where a predator will kill another predator that competes for the same food resources. Mm, okay. So the primary motive behind the killing isn't food, it's eliminating competition. Okay, yeah. So this is one of the effects that were seen when the wolves were introduced to Yellowstone. Not only were there a, there was there a huge deer population, but there was also a huge coyote population. Mm -hmm. And when the wolves were reintroduced, the wolves, as well as killing deer to eat, they also kill coyotes as part of that intraguild predation to try and reduce the amount of competitors but why would you not eat it it's a good question um wolves will not really eat the coyotes lions will sometimes kill hyenas just leave them there yeah uh, lynxes kill foxes shark species will kill other shark species and they just won't eat them it's, it just seems to be reducing the level of competition in serious situations they may eat them but it's it's a pretty it's a pretty common thing, this intraguild predation. Huh. Uh, but some scientists disagree that this is the actual thing that's going on with the dolphins and okay. think that, that basically the size difference between the bottlenose dolphins and the porpoises, meaning that they're feeding on such different things mm -hmm. that intraguild predation isn't really a factor and that the porpoises would be feeding on much smaller fish and that the dolphins are feeding on other things and that they can't really use intraguild predation as an explanation. But intraguild predation definitely that's not 
up for dispute that that happens. exists. Yes, it, it, 100%. it is the thing that happens yeah. with the dolphins. It 100 exists. But the scientists that think it's not that don't really have another excuse for what it could be. But it could be that they're displaying dominance, showing off, honing their skills, or quite literally just playing. That's a scientist who's looking to get a chair position at a university you know what i mean it's <laughs> yeah. like well it can't possibly be that well what is it then well i don't know you know, well, I I don't know. know. it could be anything yeah, yeah exactly but it's not your thing yeah <laughs> but the thing is is that we i'd like to know the intra-guild relationships between the scientists who are saying it is and it isn't because <laughs> if the ones who are saying it is are the ones who got the research grant and the ones who are saying it isn't are the ones who didn't get the research grant then i'm going to say we've got some competition out there between scientists competing for a limited pool of resource well I mean, as if we've learned anything, I think that all this behaviour has very stark parallels to the human, yeah. <laughs> the human world. Um, because the thing is, with something as intelligent as a dolphin, there could be all sorts of reasons why they do it. You know, we were talking about the tail walking last episode. Um, we don't actually know why they do some of these things. It could be that there's something a lot more simple or a lot more sinister going on with the killing of the porpoises, and it could just be that they're it's something they can do. So they're just going to do it. God, what if they were porpoise racist? Who knows? If any animal is going to be, I think it's going to be a dolphin. Dolphins have got away with this for far too long. Yeah, we need to knock them down a peg. Exactly. And that's what I hope we've done in this podcast. Well. <laughs> the prosecution rests. Uh, the defence has pretty much nothing to say. I tell you what, I'd like, I'd like to blame Martha for uh, putting this whole thought in my head in the first place with the sea otters and then it spooled out into dolphins and then you added ducks. Yeah, <laughs> a quick detour to ducks. But it's all behaviour. It's nature. We shouldn't sugarcoat nature. We don't disnify nature on how many geese. <laughs> It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by Finola on Instagram, and it is the platypus. Now, let's get to know our foe. Hailing from the western side of Australia, this egg-laying semi-aquatic mammal with its duck bill, beaver tail and otter feet were deemed so bizarre that when European naturalists first saw a body in 1799, they believed it to be multiple animals sewn together. But this is a very real animal that you're about to face. They're about 40 to 50 centimetres long, the heaviest they can weigh is two and a half kilos. The elongated snout and lower jaw are covered in soft skin, forming the bill. That bill of theirs has very sensitive electroreception. When they dive to hunt for prey on the riverbeds, they close their eyes, ears and nose and rely entirely on sensing the electrical impulses made by their prey's muscle contractions. They don't have any teeth, but they do have keratinized pads that help them grind down food. They do actually have teeth when they're young, but lose them just before they leave the burrow. Their beaver-like tail is for storing fat, and their webbed feet have sharp claws that they use for digging burrows. The key ace up their sleeve, though, for the platypus is that the males have spurs on their ankles that can deliver venom. This is believed to be used during the breeding season in tussles between platypus to assert dominance, but can be used in defence against predators and is powerful enough to kill animals like dogs. 
It's not lethal to humans though, but the pain is deemed so excruciating that the victim may be incapacitated, with evidence also showing that venom can develop into long-lasting, heightened sensitivity to pain, which can last for months, which wouldn't be good for your continuing career in fighting animals. <laughs> so, Roddy Shaw, with all that in mind, how many platypus are too many platypus? Right, okay. One of the most iconic animals. Yeah, I'm, if anything, amazed it's taken this long yeah. <laughs> to, to come through. Have you ever seen, have you ever heard of Boston Dynamics? Uh, they're the people who make the robot videos that go viral all the time, aren't they? With the, them trying to push over the dog-like robot and it writes itself and all that. Yeah, and they're trying to develop these robots that can do sort of, you know, they can find people in collapsed buildings after an earthquake. They can help the military with carrying stuff. They've got infrared sensors, ultraviolet sensors. They can hear a missile taking off 800 miles all of that i kind of feel like the platypus is nature's attempt at a boston dynamics robot in that it's got a beaver tail it's got venomous feet it's yeah. got electric it can sense muscles it can shield its eyes close its ears shut this down lay an egg have some milk it's kind of nature's attempt at an all-terrain <laughs> you know? it's nature's attempt at doing everything that nature has ever made all at once yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah somewhere between a boston dynamics robot and a sort of megazord yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the thing the thing that really impressed me was that i hadn't quite realized just how powerful those electroreceptors were that when it goes under it completely shuts off its eyes its ears it's not hearing it's not seeing and it's just sensing the muscle contractions of its prey in the silt on the bed of the river but like it, its prey is like a shrimp yeah <laughs> so it's like imagine yeah closing your eyes and then being able to just know that a mole <laughs> was having a fart below you. It's like Mr. Miyagi times. Yeah. <laughs> a million. Insane. I've actually got a platypus fact that you didn't mention there Ooh. and I'd never heard of before. Okay. And it blew my mind and I've got it lined up for the next one. So I'm chucking that in as, a, as an almost teaser that... Like we said at the start, they're such an iconic animal. Mm-hmm. How have we not discussed them before? Yeah, they're on the oh, they're, they're on, on the conveyor belt. They're on the way. They're Excellent. on the way. But okay, nature's all terrain, all singing, all dancing, all everything. Mm-hmm. River beast. <laughs> <laughs> I'd heard. I don't know if you've got that on the venom. I didn't realize how powerful the venom was that it yeah. could leave you um, kill a dog. And, yeah, leave you with long-lasting heightened sensitivity to pain, which can last for months. Right. So, now we get down to business. Terrain. Talk me through terrain. Well, it's tricky because exactly. river, they're good. Underground, yeah. they're good. I've, I'm awful underground. <laughs> <laughs> they burrow, they swim, they walk. Yeah, and neither of us fly. How about... I keep coming back to the electroreceptors and that it must be possible to overstimulate yeah. an electroreceptor. Yeah. Like, could I have a dance-off with a platypus and mm. some kind of... <laughs> I was have thinking you ever seen more like, Saturday Night Fever? I was thinking more like electrical substation and you went dance-off with a platypus. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Saturday Night Fever with those, like, seven... Uh, John Travolta movie and it's got the very famous... Like the disco pose of kind of like hand on hip, arm up in the sky. It's from that movie. On one of those 
dance floors that like lights up different color Ooh, like the in squares yeah yeah in square, so you've got lights above disco balls sounds light up squares yeah hard surface uh-huh. so they can't dig uh-huh. we're fighting them in a 70s nightclub excellent <laughs> that's where this is taking part. okay also because it's a 70s nightclub we're both going to have platform shoes on which then means that their poisonous spur that's out <laughs> venomous spur yeah. is out excellent so we've incapacitated them and we've overwhelmed them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be. I think it needs to be. The, it needs to be a packed seventies nightclub. Yeah. Because they're picking up their electro receptions as well from like muscle contractions. So you need a lot of people dancing, like a flash mob style, like yep. dance off, and they're like, what? And do you know it was big in the seventies. Mm. I think prawn cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're luring them in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They've been able to sense the twitchings of the prawns on their way to um, yeah. they would deliver. It's, li- it's live prawn cocktails. Li- live prawn cocktail. That probably night. happened in the 70s. Um, we don't know. We weren't there. Exactly. But <laughs> it's live prawn cocktail night at a 70s nightclub. We've both got platform shoes on. It's packed. Everyone's ready for a dance off. They've yeah. all cleared to the edges. I've grown my hair out <laughs> because it's the 70s. Yeah. Have you got the Have you got the white suit on? Oh, like button down sort of chest. Oh, even I mean, I'm <laughs> pop buttons anyway, but I'm going even deeper. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Platypus is not going to know where to look. No, it's not going to have a clue. Everywhere it looks, there's something wild happening. So, how many? But they are nature's megazord. Mm. So, can several platypi combine? Combine. <laughs> I don't think we can rule it out. I just think science hasn't got to that answer yet. No science if you could get to that answer <laughs> if a listener could forward that question to science it'd be great on the possibility that they could megazord mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. i think we're going down to the classic weight to weight okay so they were how much so well the biggest ones yep. can weigh up to two and a half kilos so that's the biggest ones which is big i didn't realize they were that big that's that's a chunky 40 to 50 centimeters long and the heaviest weigh up to two and a half kilos dense that would put me against 36 platypi in a dance off oh my god do you want to do you think they but do you think they're so overwhelmed there's a lot of electro signals a lot of sound a lot of colors yeah yeah i've seen pictures of the 70s it looked overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) so do you think that so if they're even if they combine to create one platypi that's it's still that's the same weight as you 37 the platypodae (laughs) that's it's 36 platypi to make the platypodae that is is a similar weight class to me and you think you could take that given all the distractions going on i reckon i could have a solid dance off with 36 platypi (laughs) (laughs) done We've got a question here, a question coming in from David Brown at DB Photography on Instagram. And uh, his question's great. It is, um, he lets us know that he was a massive Pokemon fan growing up. Great. And he's wondering which animals we would pick as our starter and what type of Pokemon they would be. So in the Pokemon games, you have a choice of three Pokemon to kick you off. Um, in the very, very first generation, that would be Charmander, Bulbasaur, or Squirtle. So there's always a fire one, a grass one, and a water one. So which animals would be the starter, I guess, fire, grass, and water? Hmm. Okay, now, I'm initially thinking, yep. because 
Pokemon obviously leans quite heavily into real world things. Yep. And I know that in some of the later ones, I get a bit more hazy with them as the generations have gone on. Yep. But I know that there are a starter Pokemon that is basically an otter. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of ones that haven't already been done. Squirtle, obviously, famously, is a is a little tortoise. Yeah. So trying to think of ones that haven't been done. Well, I guess also maybe we should also just think, given all of the animals out there, what three are just going to be the best to like take on a quest? Uh, (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like you don't want it. You're not going to start your journey with a barracuda. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. That is not a starter animal. <laughs> okay. Right? I'm also going to rule out dogs and cats. Yeah. Anything oh, yeah. that's obviously a pet yeah. is out. Yeah. So, what does that leave us with? It's not going to be a sheep. They're dying at the start of your quest. Yeah. Um, they can't even survive in fields without getting limps. Yeah. God, they're useless. They're really useless. <laughs> what about something like... I'm thinking of resilient, adaptable... Something like a fox might be quite helpful. A badger. A badger. Badger's pretty sturdy, isn't it? Very sturdy. But a badger could carry stuff. Good attack. Yeah. Good defense. Good defense. Yeah. Mm. Can forage. Badger's a good shout. Perhaps. Then it evolves into the honey badger. Ah, yes. And then it brings the pain. And then it brings the pain. Brings the thunder. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's let's chuck some into the mix. We've got badgers. We need... What's a fiery... Fiery... And I tell you what, now this isn't a starter Pokemon yeah. by any means, but there is a snail that exists on the edge of like those deep water marine thermal vents. Right. And it is, it's covered in like actual armor. It involves, oh, I'm going to have to Google this quickly. Hang yeah. on. So this snail is a deep water specialist living on the hydrothermal vents it has been found at between one and a half to 1.8 miles so you're really not starting with it (laughs) but the amazing thing about it is that its shell has three layers to it the outermost layer is made of iron sulfide so it literally has a metal casing to it it's called the scaly foot gastropod or the scaly foot snail or the sea pangolin or the volcano scale because it's Literally, imagine the squidgy bit of a snail, yeah. but it's made out of chain mail. It's covered in these scales of iron to keep it from the heat, I guess. And it's a deep, deep red. If you Google scaly foot gastropod and just look at this snail, it is probably as fire type of an actual animal, I think, as we have. And it looks, it's like a proper... That's, that, that is just a Pokemon. It's a dragon it looks like it should have been extinct for millions of years. Yeah, it's so hardcore. That's amazing. But you're definitely finding that near the end of near the end of near the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, very intense. So that's definitely a fire water Pokemon. Yeah, but uh, is not a starter Pokemon. No. So they've got it. All the starter ones. They're always pretty cute. They're pretty. What about a llama? A llama. An alpaca. An alpaca. An alpaca. They're smaller than a llama. Very sturdy. Yeah. I'll chuck it into the grass type because it's certainly eating grass. Yeah. That will carry your packs and then it will evolve from an alpaca into a llama. Yeah. And then it gains like spitting attitude, thorough unpleasantness across the board. Yeah. There's definitely a progression there. Now, in Pokemon, the fish do get a hard time. Yeah. (laughs) Thinking of Magikarp. Yeah. 
But is there any knife? What about like an eel? An eel that then becomes an electric eel. That's cool. Something like that. That's a cool one too. I'm now thinking about how you can chain them into like the evolutionary progression of these animals. Then it becomes some kind of electric lungfish. Yeah. You can come onto land or yeah. something. Yeah. What about a crab? A, cra- a, a solid crab, like a, so- a, a sturdy, trusty crab. Yeah. It evolves into a coconut crab, Ooh, which yeah. we know can do serious yeah, damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a water type. Yeah. It can scuttle along with you. Yeah. Crabs are kind of cute. Yeah. They've got little eyes. Coca- yeah. Crab. I think a crab's... You, you can get crabs for pets in, there like, is, fish stores. There is, in Pokemon, in the first generation, there is Krabby. Krabby and Kingler. And Kingler yeah. Which are, I like to think, because evolution did it so perfectly, they are just crabs. Yeah. In Pokemon, they are just giant crabs. Yeah. And they look exactly the same yeah. as crabs look. There was... There's no like little fiery bits on them. Yeah. There's no. They're not covered in stone. They've not got swords for hands. They're just crabs. Yeah. Because <laughs> all of life is progressing towards crab. All roads lead to crab. All roads lead to crab. Okay. So late in the game, we're getting the volcano snail. Mm-hmm. Early on, for the grass type, I've got either an alpaca or maybe a badger. Yeah. For the water type, I think a crab. Yeah. But a crab evolving into like, we know that coconut crabs are monsters. Yeah. Right. Oh, which yeah. just ruin things. Yeah. They can chew through, well, not chew, but snip through straight up metal. Yeah. So now we just need a normal fiery thing. And in the later games, they got really weird. Like one of the Pokemon in the later games is a candle, right? <laughs> We're not doing that because That's one of them shit. in the most recent. Well, is, isn't one an ice cream? One of them in the most recent ones, I think, is just a keychain. Like, it's just keys. It's just a handful of keys. Like, come on, Nintendo. Yeah, sort it out. All of the animals in the world, and you've gone to keys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fire fire is hard, though. Like, the only... Th- I'm trying to think of anything related to volcanoes. You know, the only thing I've got is those scrub fowl in Asia that lay their eggs into volcanic sand yep so then they don't have to incubate them and then the eggs are incubated at a temperature because the volcanic sand is hot yep and then the chicks hatch that's really out cool. of the volcanic sand that's really but cool. they're essentially like chickens i mean it's a starter as a starter, it's a starter pokemon. pokemon a chicken of the fire because yeah. it's got a, a little bit of yeah embellishment and, and then it can evolve into something like a peacock maybe yes yes yeah S- something cool like that so we've got i like that a lot scrub fowl yeah born of flame yeah <laughs> alpaca Sturdy of back, crab, strong of claw. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Hello, listener. It's just me popping up, as I always do, at the end of the show to tell you all the stuff that you already know. That is stuff like, please do give us a rating wherever you listen to this podcast. That is also stuff like, if you do feel so generous, then please do drop us a donation over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash how many geese. And most of all, that is stuff like, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday.